0: fellowship my name is chris lamb and we're coming to you live this evening from the auditorium of Glen iris baptist church so we're having a little change in our normal uh, situation from the studio to the church here and i have with me tonight my friend and our preacher for our gospel meeting brother david miller from Heber Springs, arkansas now to many of you he's no stranger he was with us last year but i wanted to reacquaint our audience with brother miller and just chat with him a little bit and he's uh, preaching, been preaching all day today, and will continue through Wednesday night in our winter gospel meeting. My, how we need to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. With all the troubles and the situations in our country today, there's no problem that would not be solved that the gospel can't answer. I believe that with all my heart. It is sufficient, and as the Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Now, let me just tell you, at the beginning of the program, we normally take calls, but because of our setup here, we'll not be able to take calls tonight, so we'll do that again next Sunday evening. But I'm just going to uh, talk with my friend, Brother David Miller here. Brother Miller, it's so good to have you thank with us. Thank you very and Thank much. you for being not only part of the program tonight, but here in our church, and coming all the way from Heber Springs, Arkansas. But How many miles is that? Oh, it's about 350 miles. Not too bad. Just a hop, skip, and jump. That's right. And uh, I, I noticed you were uh, born in Stringer, Mississippi. Yes. Tell us
1: about Stringer, Mississippi. Well, Stringer, Mississippi is in Jasper County. Uh, it's in south-central Mississippi, approximately 65 miles south of Jackson. All right. And Stringer is just a small town, four or five stores and a high school. And I grew up two miles south of Stringer. Now, down home, we didn't always say Stringer. We often said (laughs) Stringer. But everyone knew where we were talking about
0: you can always tell you know in alabama there's so many indian names silicaga, opelika aniana and you can tell when they bring one of these news anchors from somewhere else they'll say it Silicuga, you know uh, yes. uh, or they'll call it something else you'll know they're from nowhere around here yes, they don't know how to say it <laughs> and it's not that we say it right it's just how we say it that's you know right. so that's funny and uh different places have different things that way so you grew up in stringer mississippi yes sir uh, and how did you get to Arkansas? How did you get to Heber Springs, Arkansas, from, he- from Stringer, Mississippi?
1: Well, I took a circuitous route. My, I, I grew up in Stringer until I was uh, a senior in high school. My mom and dad had divorced when I was five years old. And my mom had worked at an electric blanket factory in Bay Springs, Mississippi, and the factory had closed down, so my mom had no job. But my sister, Betty, and her husband, Jerry, were stationed in Boston Spa, New York. And my Look, That mom, sounded like the end of the world to you at that age, didn't it? I'd <laughs> never heard of such a place. That sounded uh, so far away. And uh, my mom went there to find a job. And my dad lived in Arkansas. And so I decided I'd just stay home in Mississippi, with my parents' permission, of course. And I stayed by myself from January 1963 until June of that year. But I had uh, begun to be affected by muscular atrophy. The year before, and it was having quite an effect on me by then, by 63. And uh, I traveled to both places that summer of 63. I went to New York, and I went to Arkansas. And being a country boy, I decided I would opt to go to Arkansas. I uh, stayed in Stringer, and uh, until November in 1963, and then I went my last semester of high school in Arkansas. So that's how
0: I arrived there. So that was a lot of changes in a year's time, wasn't it, in your life?
1: Oh, yes. Yes, it it was. But all for the better. Uh, you know, Providence uh, often seems hard and bitter, but uh, more often it's mysterious. And you don't always understand what God's up to mm. when you're in the process.
0: It's better seen backwards than it's exactly. forward. Isn't it? yeah. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Um, uh, looking back, I can see the hand of the Lord in in the matter. I met my wife there. Um, Glenda's father came the last two weeks of the school term in 1964 in the spring he moved to scotland arkansas to be our pastor and i noticed his 17 year old daughter glenda fay i lobbied to get him called I bet you
0: voted for him. to be our be our <laughs> pastor uh, well you mentioned uh your your physical condition and i know you probably don't like to dwell on that but a lot of our folks don't know that you are wheelchair bound and have been for many years and so this condition started as a senior in high school is that when you first noticed the the condition tell us a little bit about that and what it's called and and I'm sure sure that some people will will understand sure well I might begin by uh, telling you that
1: I was born with my right arm only partially developed but it didn't cause me any unusual problems. My parents didn't give me any special attention. And so I just grew up like a normal kid, did all the things that country kids. Did you have use of it? A little bit, much more then growing up than I do now. I was able to play sports. I was the captain on the varsity football team when I was a sophomore in high school. But, uh, In the spring practice in 1962, or pardon me, 60, yes, 62, I wasn't able to run as fast. I I had been able to run with maybe the top 10% of the guys on the team prior to muscular atrophy. But now, after a few weeks, uh, I was running with the bottom 10%. And by the end of summer uh, that year, I wasn't able to run at all. So it didn't just zap me all of a sudden. It it uh, came
0: upon me over a period of no, several yeah, as, months. As a, as a high school boy, by the end of the year you couldn't run. Did that, what, what was going on in your mind and in your, in your heart? Well, quite
1: frankly, I was devastated about it because I had had uh, aspirations of of uh, being a high school football coach that had been my uh, ambition for many years and so uh, all of that begins to crumble mm-hmm. and and then just not knowing what I would do with my life and then obviously just just worried about mm-hmm. life and death was it how long did it take them to diagnose your your condition well it took a uh, uh, several months actually i uh, i had no I had no pain. I had no physical uh, symptoms other than I just simply was weak. Like Uh, tired or just unable to to do? Unable to, for example, uh, unable to get up from a sitting position without uh, pushing myself up Mm -hmm. with my arms. Great difficulty getting up steps great difficulty getting up the steps on the school bus, things like that. Um, but I went to my family doctor, and my blood pressure was high. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but when you're scared, when you're worried, that impacts your blood pressure. Um, so anyway, they said I should quit playing football. Of course, by then I wasn't Anything. able to play anyway. But uh, that lingered uh, for several months until the next year, really. And I had and So some, you moved during that time as well? I moved, and, and uh, it was while I was in Arkansas that I uh, saw a neurologist and had biopsies and other tests and, they decided that I had a perineal muscular atrophy, charcoal marie tooth type. And the perineal nerve controls your extremities, your arms, and your legs. And there's a breakdown of communication between the nerves and the muscles, and consequently, the muscles are not receiving proper stimuli, so they atrophy, they waste away. Now, that obviously is an oversimplification of a very complex disorder. But
0: that atrophy, there's no regaining that, is
1: it? No, sir. Once it's lost, you never gain it back. Um, And it's progressive. It has continued all of these years. I'm now 68 years old. I, uh, But it's kind of like tithing, uh, Brother Lamb. If you're tithing off a million dollars, oh, my, everybody notices that. You've given $100,000 today, and that uh, is noticeable. But if you're only tithing off a dime, that's only a penny, and no one notices that much. And nevertheless, it is a tithe, mm-hmm. and so I have continued to lose uh, physical abilities, but I have so few uh, physical abilities left that you don't notice. The average person wouldn't notice it, but in the last few months, I've lost my ability to to control the wheelchair well. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Lost the ability to feed myself. So
0: it just continues. How long did it take in this progress to to be in a wheelchair? How, many, how long before you got to that, that, that situation? Yes, sir. Well,
1: I began to be affected in 1962, and I did not use the wheelchair until 1981. Well, um, I had gone to Los Angeles to the Southern Baptist Convention, and our motel was situated only a few blocks from the convention center. And so I took a a manual wheelchair with me, thinking that I wouldn't have to use the taxi cabs or the buses. And so the guys who were with me just pushed me along in the wheelchair, and it worked well. And I I went from there ere long. I started taking the chair with me when I'd, uh, go to the mall or places where you'd normally walk mm-hmm. quite a bit and uh, that's how i began
0: so i'm sure that uh, people are wondering how uh, how this affected you by now you've been called to the ministry and so forth how has how has it affected you as a person i mean i know that you probably don't want this to define who you are. You certainly live above your, your condition, what the Lord has allowed in your life. But there comes a point where you have to resign yourself right to the, the, the things as they are. Sure. Was so that a process or was it... it?
1: I suppose the honest answer is that early on in this experience, the Lord just enabled me to deal with reality. Um, sometimes you just have to have a reality check. Mm-hmm. There's, nothing, there's nothing that can be done about muscular atrophy. And so you just know that you're going to have these uh, deficiencies all along. And so you just deal with it. Mm-hmm. Now, to be perfectly honest with you and your audience... I haven't always liked it, Mm. and I haven't always uh, responded well. There's been a few times when I've thrown my hat down and stomped my foot in disgust, but you get that out of your system. It's perfectly all right. I I don't have a shingle over my office door uh, as a counselor. I wouldn't last very long. (laughs) I just... uh,
0: you tell, you tell people to get over it. Would
1: I just spit a time or two and <laughs> stomp my foot and get it out of my system and then go on? Make make the adjustment. Life is an adjustment, and that's kind of the way I've handled it. I don't know if that's the best way,
0: but I'm it just seems to have well. Answering on. your question. Well, you we it's easy for us to say that God is grace is sufficient. We use platitudes sure. sometimes. In, in, maybe not even meaning to be in that way, but you, you do have to learn to leave, live those things out, don't you? That yes. God's grace is sufficient. exactly. You, I was, you were sharing with me today how you um, miss being able to write, and it was just dawned on me that as a, a preacher and a student of the Word of God, those basic tools that most people take for granted, writing, being able to pick up a book and go to the shelf, and th- what... God, what what is required of you to do the work that you've got to do uh, is a little bit more problematic, isn't it?
1: Well, it's become really frustrating to me in the last several months. Um, This has occurred over a period, really, of several years. I got to where I wasn't able to get the books down off the shelf. But you can resolve that. My secretary would do that or my wife and I uh, would get several books down. If I were studying the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, Just get them all I'd, out. I'd get them all out, have them open the book to the particular chapter and verse that I was uh, starting with and stack them on top of each other, opened up. And I could still drag one book off the top and get it in front of me. And I would read that, uh, would make notes, underline, do the same things that any other person would do. And then I could manage to push it over to one side out of the way, drag the next book down. Mm. Uh, But I got to where I couldn't turn the pages. And uh, so I I have a a lovely and gracious wife of 47 years. And, of course, she would come at my beck and call to turn the page. I have a young man, Eric Smith, whom you know, who works for me. I've had a personal attendant for 30 years, and they've all been gracious and kind. But you you hate to have somebody just sit beside you to do nothing but turn the page for your book. And so that's frustrated me greatly. Uh, My inability to write, to make notes make my sermon outlines uh, has frustrated mm-hmm. me greatly. Uh, so I've I've had to go away from reading the books uh, in the hardback to uh, the electronic books. I use a Kindle and I, I download the books uh, on the Kindle and uh, Eric or Glenda will turn the machine on and then I can I can maneuver i can navigate with my thumb mm-hmm. and so you just make adjustments i still can't write down now i know that there are other means there are voice activated computers and i don't want to hear about it <laughs> i don't want to go there but i suppose i will mm-hmm. in the in the weeks ahead i
0: I'm curious because, uh, you know, was, we take for granted those things. You know, I, when I go to my study, I, I don't have to think about navigating through all of that. So as your physical abilities began to decline, obviously your uh, mental, y- the use of your brain, what I mean by mem- memory and all, was it always sharp, or did that did that develop as your other abilities began to lessen i guess i'm just curious because you have to rely heavily you you preach without a, a bible without a without notes and it's just amazing to the average listener that, that you have all that committed to memory and i was thinking i enter the pulpit with a stack of stuff you know and i would think oh i would be just you know shocked not to have to depend on those yes. but i guess you have to learn to cope with sure. not using those props
1: I don't think I uh, developed this approach to preaching uh, as a necessity because of muscular atrophy. I just did it quite by providence. So you were already... I I started doing it almost from the beginning. Um, So the Lord just led you in that way, didn't
0: he? He did. Yeah, and I'm of course eternally grateful at this point. So you would memorize your points now before, whenever, even when you could write and have them with yes. you. Yes.
1: Now, often uh, in the early years, I I would take my notes and and sometimes copious notes to the pulpit with me and and use them. But um, as I went along, I I began to move away from that. Not because I think there's anything wrong with using notes. I I lead expository preaching conferences uh, occasionally, and I tell the brethren if if you need to use notes, make good notes, <laughs> uh, make them uh, legible, uh, get spread them out there. <laughs> Quit trying to hide them for heaven's sake. Uh, you know, preachers. They know it
0: anyway. No. Pre- well, sure they know.
1: Uh, preachers try to be smooth and moving from one page in their notes to the next. Man, I just spread them all out. I what you them. Get me a big pulpit. Give me some room to spread, spread my out. stuff out so I can see it. And occasionally, uh, today, I will use a lap board of this lap board that i Uh, put in my lap and i'll spread notes all around and i have had some of the teenagers at our church at home sit on the front row so they can come up and move my notes around if i'm dealing with an issue that i i want to be sure i get it right and i use notes so i'm not at all opposed to that it's just that my first sermon I preached a topical sermon on faith. I got my sermon from the Concordance. (laughs) I, I looked up all those references on the subject of faith. I turned the corner of the page down. I used other markers. But I had gone over those verses so many times, and some of them, I was all already very familiar with, and so in my in the fewer hour of my preaching, I would not get turned to the proper place till I would begin to quote the text, uh, albeit I butchered it up quite a bit. But after a while, I I discovered that for me there was great advantage. To have
0: memorized the passage, would you recommend to young men going into the ministry to start out doing their best to to develop that their memory if if would you recommend that instead of using I notes mean, would I,
1: I not only recommend it I charge them and exhort them to do it uh, for several reasons the The psalm that uh, Brother Legrand read today. Uh, but in his law doth he meditate day and night. Uh, his delight is in the law of the Lord. You can't be delighted about something you have no acquaintance with. You can't meditate on something that that you're not familiar with. Uh, to memorize, the Scripture puts you in a position where the Spirit of the Lord can be your teacher. He can be your teacher at any time during the day you don't have to be sitting at the desk before an open Bible you can be driving down the street you can be at the little league baseball field you can be lying for repose in your bed chamber and the spirit of the Lord will bring the text to your mind and teach you uh, from the text the best sermons are born they're not built. Anyone can build a sermon, but uh, there's a difference, and the folks who listen to us
0: tell, okay. uh, know the difference. <laughs> well, that's that's good good advice. And also, just for any believer, whether you're preaching or not, to have the scripture committed to memory helps in your witnessing and all manner of things, doesn't it? Absolutely.
1: The very best thing that I have ever done in my personal sanctification is to memorize Scripture.
0: Well, the Lord says you're, you sanctify them through thy truth, doesn't it? Exactly. And there really is no sanctification apart from it. Yes, sir. The power of the Word of God. We know it's the power that brings about our salvation, the, the, the seed of the Word of God planted. But somehow... I think sometimes believers forget about the power of God's Word to sanctify and do all else that God has intended for it to do. Yes. It's the most powerful resource, the the Spirit of God and the Word of God together. You can't divorce the two. That is exactly right. He will always honor the Word, and and the Word will never lead us contrary. The Spirit will never lead us contrary to what the Word says. Amen. So... Probably what we're saying here is the greatest thing you can do uh, is to, to memorize the Scripture. It's the greatest aid to sanctification. Would you say that?
1: I could not agree more. Um, we all look back occasionally and wish we had the opportunity to to do a redo. But if I could do that, I would give more attention to memorizing Scripture. If I hadn't applied myself more,
0: I would have memorized much more Scripture. Well, you put the rest of us to shame. At the prayer meeting this night, tonight, a lady asked me how much Scripture you had committed to memory. And I said, I'm not sure. But I know he probably goes over the text that he's going to deal with that particular service before you come. But I, I'm just curious. Do, do you have any idea how much of the Scripture you have committed
1: I, I not don't, I don't know other than this. Uh, compared to the whole... Not very Just much. Just in the bucket. Not isn't very it? much. Now, sometimes people approach me and ask, Oh, Brother Miller, do you know the entire Bible? And I reply by saying yes, and the concordance and the maps, <laughs> uh, which is absurd, obviously. <laughs> uh, but people hear you quote a few verses and they think you know the whole Bible, but I. I don't know very much compared to the whole. But I've made it a practice through the years to uh, memorize the passage that I was going to preach from. Uh, For example, I preached from Hebrews chapter 1. I'm currently giving an exposition of the book of Hebrews in my church at home. And I, I have read the entire book Many, many times in my preparations, I have memorized the first three or four chapters, maybe the fifth chapter, I can't remember. And as I go along, I will, I will continue to memorize a chapter or two ahead, so that in the, in the process of preparing the sermons, I will always have the immediate
0: text in my mind and heart. I think uh, what I was amazed at, and I always am when I hear you preach, that it's, to me it's one thing to memorize the text, but you can go back to the part of a phrase, of a te- verse, just like a preacher would if he was looking at his, his Bible. And it, it's, 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 it's almost as if the Scripture is right before you. Do you see it in your mind? Often I can. Uh,
1: but I I don't have any tricks. I don't have any unusual It's just things. old-fashioned
0: work, isn't it? It's
1: just... Get in a quiet place and and do it. Uh, but having given that disclaimer, there are some basic things that you can do that aid memorization. Read it out loud. loud. Let your ear hear it. Slow down. Most oh, people read the Word of God entirely too. Entirely too down. fast, and especially preachers. Mm-hmm. I tell them, slow down. What's the hurt? That's more important than what you're going to say. That's it? the most important yes. thing you're going to say. Uh, that will arrest the attention of the audience. If the Word of God, well-spoken, well-articulated, under the anointing of the Spirit of God, if that does not arrest the hearts and the attention of the audience, then your little clever introduction is... Is is doomed to fail, Um, and so memorize the text by memorizing
0: phrases and clauses. I've heard you several times in meetings and conferences, and I I came home and told my wife I would love to have Brother Miller come preach to our folks. Well, for one thing, you remind me of my father-in-law, our pastor for so many years here. Tonight, as you're preaching the a's on the different idols that was just classic roller grand uh and just the way you deliver the word of god and simplicity and power and uh it it feeds me as a pastor i said today that you're a preacher's preacher and i I believe that and we've benefited greatly personally by your messages and, and so forth and thank you for for coming and spending these days with us. I know there are a lot of places you can be, but thank you for being in Birmingham. Hope you haven't brought this Arctic weather with us. Now we don't we don't need any ice and snow, but they don't know what they're talking about, do they? Yeah. I don't know if we'll get that or not. We were talking about uh, your physical situation, and while I haven't wanted to just capitalize on that, that is a major part of your life, and you are a classic example of serving the Lord with uh, what some people would call a disability. I don't know. What? How do you refer to your situation? Do you say, did you use that word disability? No,
1: nor do I use the word handicap, because it's not handy, nor is it a cap.
0: <laughs> it's the, it's my, one of my grandsons the other day asked me, he said, Papa, how do they, why do they use that word? Yeah. I, it isn't, I, I don't know. It's not yes. handy or a cap, is yes, it? Sir. Uh, it's just reality, and
1: it's the... It's the hand the, the Lord has dealt to me, and so I try to do the best I can with what I have.
0: Well, you preach the sovereignty of God, and then you we all live it out, but you, you do it in, in a very specific way that this is God's sovereign will for you, isn't it?
1: Well, I believe that to be so, Brother Lamb. That's the problem with our preaching, isn't it? That uh, there comes a time when... We not only have to preach these truths, but we must live by them, um, and that's a wonderful truth to believe in—the sovereignty and the providence of God. No, it uh,
0: not that life does not make sense without that, does it?
1: That is the gospel truth. Yeah. Um, but I've been greatly blessed. I've just been—I've just been blessed above measure. I've been healthy. I've been strong. I've had great stamina. I've just preached and preached and preached all
0: over the land.
1: Is it amaze
0: you how, uh, and I'm not asking, I don't know, but is it amazing to you that you're as in demand as you are?
1: Well, it amazes me that I'm ever invited to go anywhere <laughs> to preach. I, I've i just never had that grandiose opinion of my own preaching. I, I hear myself preach or see a video occasionally and, I just wonder why in the world did they ask me. In fact, I've come to this conclusion. The reason I get invited to these uh, conferences occasionally is because country preachers are a dying breed. And so these guys who plan the programs uh, want to have a token country preacher uh, (laughs) so that the younger generation will know what they
0: look like and sounded like. Well, they are a dying breed, but that's, that's not a good thing. You know, we need this simple... Uh, the, the Scriptures are easily understood, aren't they? They'll they explain themselves, and God speaks in simple terms. And He's used Elijah's and John the Baptist for the most part. Peter, the, the, the preachers in the Scripture were just simple, ordinary people, weren't they?
1: Yes, sir. Uh, recently, I was at a conference in, in Georgia, and Todd Friel was asking the panel questions and he asked this question uh what's the difference between the inerrancy of the bible and the infallibility of the bible and i i thought well i'll answer this question it might be the only one that i know (laughs) and so i said uh inerrancy means it has no errors and infallibility means it's incapable of containing errors and he said well brother david would you explain that uh, elaborate on that a little further and i said well brother what was it about my <laughs> that, statements that you didn't, didn't understand. understand we want to make it doesn't have errors and it, it can have <laughs> errors period exactly there's there's also a a term regarding the bible that we don't often use and it is called purposuity and that is The clarity, the simplicity of the message proclaimed in the Bible. We often want to take simple matters and make them complex. Uh, Most of the folks can understand plain. Preaching and teaching. Even the deep things of God. Even the deep things of God. It is the mark of a great scholar and a great preacher that he can take the grand themes of the Bible and couch them in terms
0: that the common person can understand. When I'm reading an old commentary, and you just the clarity and the word usage, and you think without all the modern-day education, these men got it years and years ago. They, they had it figured out. We were talking about the memorization, and you were giving some keys on, on memory. How, how would If some, the average person out there who says they, they really want to, to develop that in their life, how would, you, how would you advise them there? Well, here's what I would tell them. For example, with
1: Psalm number 1, The psalm says, in verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now, I would begin by reading that entire chapter, six verses, so that I have some comprehension of, of the context. And then I would read that verse out loud. And then the... The next thing I would do is I would over-enunciate the conjunctions. I shall do it for you. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor, there it is, there's a conjunction, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now I have deliberately slowed the pace so that I can hear it and distinguish the various parts. Now I am analyzing the verse. This verse says three things about the same man, about the blessed man, the happy man. One, it says he walketh not... In the counsel of the ungodly. Nor standeth in the way of sinners. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. I know now that verse 1 is talking about the blessed man. Sophisticated academic credentials are not required now (laughs) to see this. You just read it a time or two. You read it out loud. You slow down. You over enunciate and your mind will click in. It's talking about the blessed man, the happy man, and it says these three things about him. Learn those three things. Uh, You can memorize a Sears and Roebuck catalog, but not to any spiritual benefit. Uh, And you can memorize Scripture to no benefit. Uh, Learn what's being said. Now, once you've done that, you just go over it and over it until you have memorized it. And memorize the address. That's Psalm number one, chapter one, verse one. And now, as you go along, like anything else that we do, the more we do it, the more proficient we become at it, the better we become. And so, the more you memorize, and the more you apply these basic things, say it out loud, slow down, analyze the verse. Now, please, don't overanalyze. You don't have to, you don't have to spend a day analyzing a verse. You don't have to know the Greek and Hebrew nuances. It, it. it says three things about the blessed man. And if you want to reduce it down... It says he walks not, he stands not, and he sits not. Now, if you're a preacher like uh, you and I, well, then you'd pick up on these things and you'd be able to teach the folks that that there's a progression, a gradation Mm -hmm. downward here. But you don't have to know all of that Mm -hmm. to memorize the verse. Now, when you get it memorized, you can say it backwards. You can say that he sits not in the seat of the scornful he he stands not in the way of sinners and he walks not in the counsel
0: of the ungodly do you do you recommend doing that going backwards
1: I, I, of course i do I, I recommend doing that's how you can know that you know it <laughs> that you know it you either know it or you don't uh, and, and you can learn the the various places where the phrases fit in but that's not necessary mm-hmm at all. And the conjunctions are kind of the things you hang, hang it on. Exactly. And you, when you get verse 1 down, you're comfortable that you have it. Then go to verse 2. And verse 2 says, but his delight, and there's another conjunction now, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Well, I've learned now that there are two major statements here. Um, uh, and i memorize those. And then I go back. Once I get verse 2, I'm going to go back and quote verses 1 and 2. And then I'm going to go to verse 3. And I'm going to keep working my way down through that. I'm going to go back to verse 1 each time. And I'm going to quote all the way through. To where i'm at so you just have to roll up your sleeves and get to work with it it's just it's just a matter of determining we to want
0: shortcuts it. and want things to be easy but the things that are most important are going to take work aren't
1: yes, they yes the old adage how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time
0: <laughs> journey of a thousand miles begins, begins with the first thing. step you know we say as believers and as preachers that we believe in the the sufficiency of the scripture the absolute authority of it why is it do you think that there's so little and maybe i'm Painting with a broad brush, but there seems to be so little emphasis on the scripture. Public reading of scripture. We talked about read it slow and all. Why do you think in this modern day it seems to be not the emphasis on that that that, that it should be? You know, the scripture says, "Give attendance till I come." Attendance to reading. And, yes, and, and sir. Exhort.
1: Well, probably two or three things. One, today's culture, even church culture. Uh, wants to be entertained they want more flamboyance um they often want a dog and pony show and so they're not interested up front Mm. in in the reading of the scriptures and then sometimes uh us preachers have to take part of the blame we don't do a good job of reading the scriptures and sometimes we drone on and on um So when I'm talking to preachers uh, in the expository preaching conferences, I encourage them to do a better job of reading the Scriptures. Uh, Don't hold the Bible down at your belt buckle. (laughs) Don't have your head down. Get your head up. Uh, Hold the Bible up in front of you. And then read the passage several times prior to to the public reading of the Word. Be familiar with it. Know how to pronounce the terms. For heaven's sake, be a little more serious about what you're doing. You're Mm -hmm. handling the Word of God. And you are feeding the sheep of the Lord. So, you know, we can always be honing our skills. We can learn how to use a wider range of our, of our vocal
0: abilities. Um, and those are the gifts that the Lord has given to us to proclaim His Word. Our absolutely. Our His Word. What else is there? Absolutely. Without sounding you know, down in the mouth and that kind of thing, you've been in the ministry for 50 years, and you mentioned that this culture is bent on entertainment. We have an entertainment-oriented culture. Is that the biggest change that you've seen in the church in these 50 years? Or is there something, what would you say has gotten us from, the you know, historically people would come to church, they'd hear the preaching of the Word of God, the simple singing of the songs, and now we've gotten to the dog and pony show, and it's always a bigger show down the street, you know. Yes. Is, is that one of the biggest changes that you've seen in the church, or what would you say? I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I know that you've seen a lot of things over the years.
1: Well, I certainly agree with what you said, that we've moved away from the centrality of preaching and the singing of the great songs of the faith. Nowadays, if the lights went out in the average church, the The congregation couldn't couldn't sing two stanzas of amazing grace. Um, And
0: the sermons have been cut down. And even uh, the sermons are so visual that there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but half yeah. of it's up on the screen, isn't it? Yes. Um, you mentioned the term
1: sufficiency of the Bible earlier. We say that we believe in the sufficiency of the Scriptures, but often in our practice we do not believe that. Um, we think that we've got to enhance Help it out. the gospel. We've got to have a celebrity come and prop up, shore up the message. We've got to have a superstar athlete come. Uh, but that's not true. Uh, the person proclaiming the message uh, does not enhance it. The message stands or falls on its own. Um, we need to believe that, that. We need to do the best job that we are capable of under the anointing of the Spirit to preach the Word. But the truth is, Brother Lamb, if the gospel interpreted and applied by the Holy Spirit does not change men's hearts, nothing else that you and I can do will avail to change their hearts
0: we used to sing all is vain unless the spirit of the holy one comes down i believe that well the dry bones can't live without the the lord doing it exactly and that's what we're doing we're preaching to dry bones aren't we yes what would you what advice would you give to a young preacher who's surrendered the lord has called him he's going to his first church and he's Uh got stars in his eyes and everything else what would you tell that young guy
1: well, I would tell him to commit himself to prayer and preaching of the Word of God. I would encourage him to get along with the Lord and with the Word. To make a commitment to preach verse by verse, to start at chapter 1, verse 1. And whatever's in that passage, two or three sentences or a paragraph, preach that. Let your sermon be drawn out from that text. And explain the text. Tell them what it means. Illustrate the text. Argue the text. If you need to reach out to another passage somewhere else in the Scripture that corroborates what's being taught in the passage you're preaching from, and then apply it, and make that your life's work. You have no greater work than this. If you've been called to preach, for heaven's sakes, major on preaching, why should a church pay you $75,000 a year to visit the nursing homes and the hospitals? Now, that's a good and noble calling. I don't disparage that at all. But why should the church pay you to do that and bore them to tears three times a week? Amen. Give attention to the preaching and and preach the truth and make the necessary and obvious application of the truth. And pray that the brethren will receive it. Pray that the deacons and the leaders and the power brokers will receive it and will thank God for a preacher who preaches the truth. But if they won't, you preach it anyway. You be humble, you weep, you have a broken heart and you preach the truth of the gospel. And if they won't hear you, Find you two or three people and start preaching in a home somewhere. Go out here and and rent a storefront. Win people to Jesus and start a New Testament church. But for heaven's sake, be true to the gospel. Give no ground when it comes to the gospel. Mm -hmm. Propitiation and expiation and the grand doctrines of what Christ has done In his
0: atoning death. Lift him up. Lift him up. Now to the average believer out there, there may not be such a term as an average believer, but someone out there who's listening tonight, someone who's these many years has had a, what some would say, a debilitating condition. Maybe someone has just gotten word that their life has dramatically changed. They've got a diagnosis to that degree. A loved one has What would your recommendation be to them tonight? Draw near to the Lord. Uh,
1: Make friends with Jesus. Learn the scriptures. Learn the great promises of the word. Uh, Do not turn away from the hope of the gospel. Uh, Change your time perspective. Our time perspective is too narrow, Mm. we're not down here long. Um, most of our life is in front of us. We're going to spend eternity with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Prepare for eternity. Uh, The song we sung tonight, Build your hopes on things eternal, hold to God's unchanging hand. I have believed these things. I'm coming to the end of the way now. I'm 68 years old. Uh, Unless the Lord comes again in the next 20 or 30 years, I'm out of (laughs) here. I believe in my soul that when I die, the angels are going to come and bear me away on their snowy wings. To be with the Lord. I believe that. That's the hope of the gospel. Yes. Based on what Christ has done for me, I believe one day I shall put on immortality mm. and incorruption. This is the hope that's yes. in my heart. Uh, I would uh, encourage folk
0: to look beyond temporal things. The truth is, we all live under a death sentence, don't we? That's it's the just, truth. just a matter of time. Well, our friend tonight has been Brother David Millard. He's preaching our gospel meeting here at Glen Iris Baptist Church. We'll have a meeting, the Lord willing, in the morning at 11 o'clock, and then Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning, and then in the evenings at 7 o'clock. Join with us as we hear this dear man of God. Thank you for being with us in our gospel meeting, and thank you for just chatting with us tonight. You'll never know how much it's been meant to people. The Lord bless you.